0: In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, the Bible says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Apostle Paul, as we have discussed this morning, is encouraging persecuted believers in Rome by emphasizing the gospel and the impact it has had on their lives. In chapter 8, we have talked about Paul's certainty of the redeemed nature of the believers in Rome. We have talked about how we can have confidence as we have gone through this chapter. We have talked about how we can have confidence in our, in our redemption, confidence in our transformation, confidence in what God has for us. Confidence in the Lord and trusting him that all things have been taken care of. We have been passed from death unto life and we shall not come into condemnation. There is a lot of confidence here in Romans chapter 8. And the Apostle Paul is going to sew all that up here as we finish out this chapter. By the time we finish today, you ought to have total confidence in your salvation and total confidence in your faith. Because what you're going to see this morning is not only what God did to make it happen, but just how God controlled every aspect of it to bring you to this point. In this passage, God shows how excuse me, in this passage, Paul shows how God works his plan with man through every phase of man's redemption and transformation. What is God's plan for my life? It's in here. What is God's plan for man? It is in here. It's all in here. First of all, this scripture declares God's good will toward man. God's goodwill toward man. That's the first thing this scripture declares. The second thing this scripture declares is proof of God's goodwill toward man. So we're going to declare that God intends good toward us, and then we're going to prove it. Amen. And after we have proved it, we're going to see the victory we have through God's plan. So let's talk about God's goodwill toward man. I love that, that line in the, in the Christmas song that we sing every year Peace on the earth, goodwill toward men, right? God's good will toward man. And it is summed up in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. After discussing how the glory to be revealed in us will render all current sufferings and strife obsolete. After discussing how Christ returning and establishing his kingdom on earth will solve every problem we have, that the suffering we have is temporary, that the suffering we have is designed to move us toward the kingdom, that the suffering we have is a result of sin, but there is also a purpose to it beyond just it being a result. After we go through all that, the Apostle Paul says, all things work together toward our good. All things are here for our good. Our good in this case, is being welcomed into his kingdom with eternal life and with those glorified bodies. I'm looking forward to my glorified body. Yeah. I, I, I drive past McDonald's and I gain five pounds. All right, I don't even have to go in. I just drive past. I mean, I drive past through the drive-through. But all I did was drive past, and I gained five pounds. Okay, I'm looking forward to the glorified body that doesn't have these health issues Where my hair is manageable. I mean, I'm looking forward to that day. Are you looking forward to that day? The aches and pains are gone. Those little things that start to wear out are no longer worn out. Are you looking forward to that? Our good is being welcomed into God's kingdom with eternal life and new bodies. And God, as we are going to see in this passage, pulled out all the stops to bring you to salvation and to transform you to the person he intended on you being. God did not just hang out a sign whoever will can show up and then not tell us the sign was there god came to us god sought us out god worked our lives to bring us to salvation in verses 29 through 30 for those whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Do y'all see the progression? He foreknew. He knew you. He predestined you. He called you. He justified you. He glorified you. And a spoiler alert here, if you read these verbs, you'll notice that they're all in the past tense that when he before ordained all this before the beginning of the world, to him it was as good as done. Which means the transaction has been complete. But I'm getting ahead of myself here. Let's go back. In verse 29, he says, For whom he foreknew. He foreknew. He knew us beforehand. He knew us before he created us. He knew us before the foundation of the world. He knew us before the world ever existed. And this word Foreknew I was having an argument with Scott Schamberger one day. I don't know if y'all know him or not. But he, he was he's a very was, Lord rest his soul, he has been welcomed into the arms of the Father by this point. But he was very big on the five points, the five doctrines of grace. And more colloquially known as the five points of Calvinism. He was very big on that. He called me one day, he and I had coffee, we argued about it very passionately then i apologized for the passionate nature of my argument and he told me that he actually appreciated it he said because if you don't think you know what you're talking about if you don't know what you're talking about why are you talking you should passionately defend the scriptures very grace very gracious individual at least he was toward me that day but he told me that that word foreknowledge, that word foreknew, it carries with it the connotation of love, the connotation of affection, the connotation of a benevolent feeling toward love. It had a connotation of that. And so not only did he, was he aware of us, not only did he know about us, not only did he understand who we would be before the foundation of the world, but he also loved us before the foundation of the world. That's what I am that's, that's what, Brother Schamburger was telling me I should take from that word. Is that God loved me before anything was ever created. Before the world ever was. God knew whether we would respond to his gospel. Before the world ever was. He loved us. And he loved us before he created us. For those whom he foreknew. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. He predestined. That can be a scary word, but it doesn't need to be. He predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. He set it up to where we would come to know Christ as our Savior. Every last bit of our story, he set it up. I was born... In the late 1970s in deep east Texas. Think God had anything to do with that? He determined who my parents would be. Yes. You might say, no, I'm not going to go into that. Some of y'all would say. Well couldn't he have picked a better pair? But he determined who your parents would be. That would be part of your story. He determined when and where you'd be born, who your parents would be, what generation you'd be a part of, what would be going on in the world where you were born, when you were born, what part of the world you'd be born in. Croatia, the United States, Texas, he determined all that, who your parents would be, what your upbringing would be like. Would you be brought up in a loving home with two loving parents who were affluent, who had their act together, or would you grow up with two parents who had never matured, who were totally irresponsible, who lived in abject poverty? How would you grow up? Would you grow up in a Christian household? Would you grow up in an agnostic household? Would you grow up in a Baptist household or a Catholic household? Would you grow up in a Calvinist household or a non-Calvinist household? Or, or an Arminian household? I don't get into the words. He determined all that. What your upbringing would be like. What your frames of reference would be like. What does that mean? He determined what your experience on this world would be like. That experience. That would frame and that would, uh, that would develop who you are. He determined all that. And then he sealed it. He predestined it. It's all part of your story. I look back on my life. Born in deep East Texas. My parents didn't quite have it together. I don't think my dad would be offended by me saying that today. He's got a bigger perspective on things now. My mom might be offended, but we've got to be honest with ourselves. Didn't have it together. I was raised by our grandparents. My grandfather was an educator my grandmother was a stay-at-home mom turned secretary she was professionally trained as a secretary but she was a mother when she could and she worked as a secretary when she had to and did a good job and they raised me I grew up in jacksonville texas met a preacher who told me about jesus He also told me about hell. I didn't want to go there. So he told me to ask Jesus into my heart and ask Jesus into my heart. But I didn't mean it. I was just saying the prayer so I wouldn't go to hell. But all that played into my my situation. I wound up being a part of an organization called the Galileans, which taught young men and trained them for future ministry. I was getting a seminary level education while I was still in junior high and high school. I was still lost. Getting out of high school, going into college, I lived like the devil for a few years. Meanwhile, out in California, there's a young lady whose dad is being discharged from the Marine Corps, and he's going to move back to, close to his mama in deep east Texas. We meet. All this played a role, and I'll, I'll spare you all the details. All this played a role into bringing me to the point of salvation. Amen. To the point where I repented of my sins and I trusted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. Shortly thereafter, God called me into the ministry. And all that, theolo- that seminary-level education I was given back in my home church through the Galileans program, all of that starts unlocking and it starts making sense. And when I went to seminary and they're explaining how all these scriptures, what these scriptures mean, it's, it's like a review to me. And I only got an associate's. But I had an associate's and I had a foundation in which to begin the ministry. And God predestined all that. He foreknew it. He predestined it. Your story is different. And the thing is, our stories are our stories and are not to be compared to each other. Some of us went through the gutters. Some of us went through addiction. Some of us went through prison. Some of us went through a life of privilege. Some of us had a lot of struggle and hardship in our lives. Some of us had it fairly easily. And the one that had it easily isn't better than the one who had all the hardship. They're not, they didn't get it easier just because God saw the fabric of their soul, and they're more deserving, so he gave them an easier path. Likewise, the person who had it harder didn't get the harder path because God looked at them and saw that they're stronger and better, and they can handle the hard stuff. This poor little guy over here, we'll give him the privileged life. No, it, it all works differently, but it all works for the same purpose, to bring us into God's kingdom, working all things together for our good. Those of us who love God, who are thee called according to his purpose. He gave you your story. He predestined. For whom he foreknew, he predestined. And whom he predestined, let's keep going in the scripture here. We go in verse 29. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those who he predestined, he also called. He called. Now, when I was in seminary, the way we understood that is he foreknew, he predestined, and at the right moment, he called, and you responded, and you became saved. But you know that calling he placed on your life was a standing call. The more I study this and the more I understand about who God is, the more I understand that the calling on our life is a standard call. Yeah. God didn't wake up one day and say, today's the day that was going to be saved. Let me give him a phone call today. The call was a standing call. It's a standing order. It's a standing invitation. It's a standing drawing. It's a standing working in your life. We had, from the time we were born, a standing call to salvation, yeah. a standing invitation To salvation. God was working in my life. And he was working in your life. Because every one of you have given me a testimony of salvation. Working in your life. To bring you to salvation. And that was the call. That was what he was asking you. That's what he was telling you. That's what he was calling you to do. is to be saved. That call to salvation was a standing call. And now we have a standing call to service. He foreknew. He predestined. And he called. Standing. It is there. He placed a standing call upon our lives. The day came when we responded to the call. But that calling was placed in our lives by him. He called. And whom he called, he justified. That word justified means to be declared not guilty because the blood of Jesus Christ paid the price for our sins. Our sins have been paid for. Our debt has been paid for. We have been set free. We have been justified. We have been paid up. The balance scale is now even. Not because of anything that we put on it, but because of what God put on it. He justified us. He paid us up. And whom he justified, he glorified. And I'm not looking very glorified today, but the day is coming when we will be glorified. Amen. And as far as God is concerned, it's already done. He has sealed it and set it up. Jeremiah 1.5. God said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. That's not something unique to Jeremiah. That's how he dealt with all of us. Before he formed us in the womb, he knew us. He knew us and He consecrated us and He sanctified us. He knew if we would respond to the gospel and He set up that response to the gospel. He set it up before the world ever was. We can sit here and doubt ourselves. We can sit here and doubt our situations. We can doubt the callings that He has placed on our lives, but yet He consecrated it from the beginning. That should give you confidence. That should give you confidence. You have a calling on your life. I have a calling on my life. My calling is to preach the gospel. That's my calling. And preaching the gospel is not limited merely to preaching in this pulpit on Sunday mornings. It is for my life to stand for the gospel, and more specifically, It is to stand for bringing people to a thorough understanding of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for our sins according to the scriptures. This is a calling that I take seriously. This is a calling that when I see people distract from it, I get fairly irritated. When we start arguing about whether Adam and Eve had belly buttons and and that sort of thing, I have no problem with discussions, but arguments is a different deal altogether. We need to stay on task. We, you know, people say we need to keep the main thing the main thing, Then they never tell you what the main thing is. The main thing is the gospel. We need to keep it the main thing. You have a calling on your life as well, which also involves sharing the gospel with others. But some of y'all have different callings. Some of y'all were called to be mothers, fathers, teachers, soldiers, administrators. God's gifted you in certain areas, and he's put a calling on your life. I went to visit with a coach, a basketball coach, one Saturday morning. It was the preseason interview. We were, I was interviewing her before the season, right before the first game of the season, before the week of the first game, because I'm going to write a big feature story on what a great girls basketball team we got this year, and everybody ought to go show up and watch these girls play. And I show up at 10 o'clock on a Saturday morning, and this coach is sweeping the gymnasium floor, and getting it ready for practice and as she's pushing that broom she's like Leland you're gonna have to walk and talk with me I'm behind schedule here and this was a coach that coached back when I was in school so I had a lot of respect for this lady and a lot of fear as well and so I'm walking alongside her she's pushing this broom she goes this is the part of it they never tell you about I'm like yeah but it's a calling isn't it she goes it really is for her discipling and mentoring those young ladies and on that basketball team was a calling Which is why she would wake up on a Saturday morning to sweep and wax a gym floor so it would be ready that afternoon for practice or whatever they were doing. It was a 12 to 18 hour a day job when it was in season. It was a calling. And it's okay, God calls us to things like that. It's okay to view what you do as a calling. It may not seem like this grandiose spiritual thing, but it's a calling. If you are ministering to people through your secular work, through your vocational work, that can be a calling. But God has placed a calling on your life. He's consecrated it. He's sealed it. He's got a plan for it. And so we can trust God's plan as we walk in obedience. God's got goodwill toward us. He loves us. He wants what is good for us. And what is good for us is refining, us, saving us, changing us, and welcoming welcoming us into his kingdom. Secondly, proving God's goodwill toward us. Proving God's goodwill toward us. Verses 31 and 32. And this is another one. If God be for us, who will be against us? Who can be against us? Verses 31 through 32, what should we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God is for us. He foreknew us. He predestined us. He called us. He justified. He glorified us for salvation and redemption. He is for our salvation and our redemption. He is for our healing. He is for our transformation. He is for us living abundant lives in heaven. He is for us. And if God is on our side, because you know how many times we've seen that in through history, history, God is on our side. And you know what? Sometimes God being on your side doesn't save you from the situation you're in in this world. Colonel William B. William B. Travis wrote from the Alamo. He said, God is on our side. But they lost the battle. He he lost his life in the whole thing. Was he wrong? We don't know. I do know that we got Texas out of the whole deal before the whole thing was over with. Sometimes God being on your side means that the persecution you're under is going to continue. It means that the worst dreams are still going to come true. But on the other side of all, that's where the glory of the Lord is. He's for us. Who can be against us? Don't think of this in terms of getting the promotion at work. Think of this in terms of your eternal spiritual blessing. If God is for us, if he is for our salvation and our redemption, if he is for our healing, if he is for our transformation, if he is for our abundant lives in his kingdom, who can be against us? Who can oppose us? And who can derail God's plan in our lives? Who can do it? Who has the ability? Who has the authority? No one. God is for us. As is evidenced by the fact that he withheld nothing from us. He is for us as is evidenced by the fact he did not spare his own son from us. He did not spare his own son but rather gave him up for us all. Gave him on the cross to pay for our sins. He made the ultimate sacrifice for our redemption. If God did not withhold his only son, wouldn't it follow... That he would follow through and with his own son freely give us all things. Freely give us all things regarding our salvation. Freely giving us all things regarding our redemption, regarding life in his kingdom. Nothing has been withheld. What more evidence do you need, people? What more evidence do you need? Who can oppose us? Who can oppose us? Verses 33 through 34. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. God has redeemed us. If God has redeemed us, who can charge us? Who can say that we owe anything? Who can say that we are still guilty? Who can say that we fall short? If it is God himself who justified us, who paid us up, who redeemed us, who can condemn us, who can condemn us to the death that we deserve for sin when it is Jesus Christ himself who died that death for us and was raised up and continues to intercede for us. Proving God's good will for us. He set it up to where no one has the opportunity to derail his plan for us or to accuse us or to be able to truthfully tell us that we don't belong. Those who can charge and condemn us are the very ones who redeemed and healed us. God's good will toward us is proven by the gospel. How Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. God's good will toward us is proven by the gospel. By his continued work in our lives. And then he shows us our victory through God's plan. Verses 35 through 36. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Who shall separate us from the love of God? The question here is, what are you afraid of? What do you fear? What's your worst nightmare? The worst thing you can think of happening in your life, what is it? And can that separate you from God's love or destroy your hope? Does it have any real power over you? We suffer. And we go through hard times. For your sake, we are slaughtered. We are counted as sheep as a slaughter. We are killed all the day long. Sometimes the bad ending happens. Sometimes the worst fear comes true. I still can't get over the funeral of a dear friend who passed away before it was, we say, before it was his time. But it's always his time. When God calls you home, it's your time. He doesn't call you home early. And that's hard to come to terms with, especially when the one who's been called home was the sole provider of two little children. And the preacher says, our God is not in the business of taking a father away from his family. And I'm sitting there, and I, be- I trust God, I believe God, I-, I-, I don't doubt any of that, but I'm sitting here saying, how can you say that when that is clearly what just happened here? That is clearly what just happened here. My friend was not killed by Satan. Satan didn't call him home. He was not murdered. Someone else didn't call him. Someone else didn't send him home. His death was a natural death. Occurring in the prime of his life. Leaving behind two precious children. We have to come to terms with the fact. That even when it looks really, really bad. God is still intending good. And God is still working good. And we cannot rationalize it. We cannot say, "Well, what if something was going to happen in the future and God spared us?" That's you—you will drive yourself insane, and everybody else around you insane, trying to do that. Just trust that it's good. The worst thing happens, and it happens all the time. If you're living in Ukraine today, you know that the worst thing happens. If you have buried someone in your immediate family in the past few years you know the worst thing happens. If the COVID shutdowns cost you your business and everything that you own, you know the worst thing happens. It happens. But it doesn't just happen. It happens in God's will, a part of his plan, which is good toward us. Our faith helps us understand the purpose behind the suffering. So even though we suffer, We suffer with hope. We suffer with confident expectation. We suffer with anticipation. For your sake, we are slaughtered. We give our lives. We put it on the line. We live our lives for the Lord. We live for him. We live self-sacrificially. We put the desires of our flesh aside And we live for the Lord. We raise children. For the Lord. We work to support the children. For the Lord. We. Let the world go about. Pursuing its own desires. While we focus on the things of eternal importance. Knowing that at times. It will cost us certain pleasures. And certain benefits in this world but we do that for the lord yeah you've given up a lot you've left a lot behind you have passed on a lot of opportunities Uh, you know when you were 18 years old your teachers told you that you had all the potential in the world and you could be a world changer but here you are here and you haven't changed the world that's not failure you gave your life for the lord and he honors that amen For your sake, Lord, we endure. We keep at it. For your sake, Lord, we live self-sacrificially and we prioritize eternal things in our lives. We pick up in verse 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of god in christ jesus our lord seeing that nothing can truly hurt us we are more than conquerors seeing that nothing separates us from god's love nothing can condemn us seeing the purpose and what we do we see god's divine hand on our lives regardless of what happens in this world We have eternity in God's kingdom to look forward to. So I don't know what nightmares you have. I don't know what you're afraid of. I don't know what troubles you. I don't know what grieves you. I don't know what you've lost. Well, Leland, haven't you been paying attention? I know some of the things that you've lost, but there's a lot of loss that you're grieving in your heart that nobody else knows about. I don't know what that is. But regardless of it, we're looking forward to the day that that's healed and that we're welcomed into his kingdom. You get to preaching and studying and talking about predestination and foreknowledge, and it gets controversial because people want to talk about different things. They want to talk about different doctrines. But the thing about it is, regardless of which side of that debate you come down on, we all have to admit something. I'm not saved because I thought it was a good idea. I'm not saved because I calculated it out and I figured that life was better in God's kingdom than in my own. I didn't draw a business plan. I didn't do a statistical analysis. I didn't seek counsel from people who had been on both sides of the issue no, I'm, I'm saved because God reached out to me and God worked a plan to bring me to salvation. And that's the same with everybody. And you say, what about the people who never hear the gospel? That's not your concern. If it is your concern, if you're worried about the people who've never heard the gospel, then get on a flight and go there. Don't sit here and tell me that God's unfair why well, you're not going to go tell the gospel if you're worried about them not hearing the gospel and you don't have to have a seminary degree you don't have to have your whole life ahead of you you're 89 years old and you come to me and you say god's calling me to the congo i'm like are you sure you heard the that I leland god's calling me okay we're gonna, we're gonna back you on this but as jesus told peter regarding john if i will that he tarry till i return what's that to you the most important thing is where you stand with God. And to bring you to salvation, and I say to bring you to salvation because y'all have given me a testimony, to bring you to salvation, God worked every detail in your life to bring you to salvation and to transform you and to set you up to enter into his kingdom. And knowing just how in control he was of all things, that should give you a peace about everything else. Because even if the worst, happens you know that God is still holding you in the palm of your hand there's a song came out on the radio about 20 years ago and that saying that blows my mind but it says that we were never promised to be spared from suffering all we were promised is when everything falls we would be held let's stand